0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Crypto Market Watch. I'm your host, Marsh Frost, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Nick. How are you? I'm okay,
1: mate. I'm all right. I'm back home up north in my old childhood bedroom. So Yes. A bit of a, not in our usual pirate studios this week.
0: No, you're in Stoke and I'm in Spain.
1: <laughs> it's sunny Stoke-on-Trent. It's,
0: it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, like, the weather here in Spain is 20... 20- Three degrees today, 24 degrees. Is it? Yeah. It's
1: very much not that in Stoke at the moment. It's absolutely pissing down, as you would imagine. Standard. Uh, standard. Standard grey. It's going to be Silicon Stoke in the future, apparently.
0: Silicon Stoke. Is this it? I'm sorry, I've not heard this before. This
1: is a it, new... Is, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's new or not. I, we've been saying it because it, basically it's on the M6, right? Oh. So it's in the middle of the country. It, our best resource is being bang in the middle of the country. And yeah... That's what we're bullish on. I like it. So we've, I mean, something needs to happen here, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, maybe this is the future tech hub of the world. I like world. it.
0: Have got many universities around there?
1: <laughs> we do, actually. We've got like two major ones. We've got staffs and Staffordshire University in Keele.
0: Because that's a slight tangent here, but I think it's relevant, actually. It's really interesting in the fact that the reason why, one of the reasons why Silicon Valley is because it's got so many high quality universities within really small catchment area. Yeah, you've got all this concentration of brain power, effectively.
1: Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's good universities here. It's like I left when I was about eighteen, and come back to see my parents like fairly frequently, and was coming to every Stoke City game for twenty years. Mad so, man, I know <laughs> that is mad. Glutton for punishment, absolute glutton for it. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's a very it's pandemic of the. North of England, to be honest, it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? We managed to get here on the trains. Got I thought they were going to get cancelled, but the infrastructure's broke. Everyone's on strike. Country's a bit of a mess in it at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think without becoming too UK centric, it's an interesting thing. It's I would love for something, something like to have like Silicon Stoke sounds great because we need to like diversify the UK because everything is so London centric. Yeah, and that's a real issue. Because not everyone lives in London, frankly. It's Yeah,
1: it, it is. And there was a point where we we're going to put HS2 through the middle of the country, through Stoke. Not happening anymore. And right. Yeah. But the, basically, I'm just looking at it. It is actually government policy, Silicon Stoke. Um, really? Yeah. And basically, at the moment, it seems to boil down the putting 8 million quid into putting internet in (laughs) broadband okay that's it broadband rather than several billion dollars of investment into seeding tech in this country
0: yeah i was gonna say is it time to buy property in stoke then probably not by the sounds of things unless i want good internet
1: yeah i mean we've got internet now (laughs) But, (laughs) but i mean it's i'm getting a bit annoyed with silicon valley generally yes i think there's there's I think this is relevant to... So we're going to talk about NFTs today, right? And Web3. We did Crypto Web3 not long ago. And yeah, I think there's... All the money basically is... Everything's just crashed. And the people that have got money left are still the Silicon Valley hedge funds and what have you. I'm slightly concerned that the space is getting very American-centric at a time where America is getting quite hostile Crypto—it's the big news story in the world—and we're conflating the scam of Sandbank, Sandbank, and Freed with crypto. And actually, it was mostly one man's giant embezzlement scam. But the, this is going to be the opportunity for everyone to try and drop the banhammer as hard as possible on crypto. And 100%. that's a problem. And that's a problem if all the projects become American centric. Yeah. Yeah. So we need something like I think there needs to be another locus of control for technology outside of silicon valley dubai silicon <laughs> but yeah there's a lot of people moving to dubai mainly to dodge tax dodge and tax yeah it's yeah not, don't really. spend the
0: money that they've stolen elsewhere there because you, that's all you can really do yeah
1: yeah i'm not really into the idea of moving to the middle east i like like the uk but i'd like us to be so one of the major things that's happening this we was just reading an article this morning from the bank of england say crypto needs to be regulated it's too volatile sorry yeah yeah which is it feels a bit like a harbinger of doom but there's a real kind of paradox in it they're talking about crypto becoming a kind of systemic risk to the financial system but so it needs to be regulated but what regulations do is give instructions to institutions to integrate with crypto we're worried about this becoming a risk to the financial system so let's integrate it into the financial system. It's like, there's a weird... But here, have
0: a CBDC. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and actually, of course, the end of every article ends with, but what we do need (laughs) is CBDCs. So there's been, like, literally every article that's coming out by the Financial Times and all this sort of stuff is addressing the systemic risks of crypto. And then what we need is a nice, safe and stable central bank digital currency. So... I've got a feeling we're going to be talking about CBDCs a lot over the next couple of years. The Bank of England have put out a kind of call for people to make a wallet. Really weird. They basically said, we'll we'll put in a bunch of grants out for a quarter of a million dollars to build the CBDC wallet. And they're not saying they're necessarily going to use that one. It's more like a research thing. But I know they've developed a wallet like seven years ago for this or something. It's not like they don't have it. So I don't quite know what they're up to. It might be just to kind of, let's see what the tech guys in the UK have got right now. Because people swarm around that because, oh yeah. They'll probably
0: just hire them. So you get the grants out. And then, because I know they're looking to recruit a lot of people from crypto slash Web3 into the Bank of England to develop their CBDC.
1: Yeah, this might be a kind of trawl for who's interested in working for the Bank of England. And so I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of movement on it.
0: Yeah, that's where it's going to go. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As you said, we're going to talk about NFTs this week. So I think we need to just give that overarching, what is an NFT perspective for everybody? And then we can
1: drill in. I get asked, what is a token all the time? I've done a couple of token economics talks recently, and it always starts with that. And basically, like a token is just a thing, right? So tokens are... Token is just another word for thing. I often say it could be called thingonomics if we wanted to go for another silly name for it. But it's basically a digital representation of something. Now, if all those somethings are the same, you can have a fungible token that represents it. So this is why people talk about uh, are increasingly talking about fungible tokens being like commodities. And that's because commodities fungible, or that's the goal where you don't care if you're getting one kilogram of pork belly from here or there. It's one kilogram of pork belly. There's a big piece around tokenizing things that can be largely considered the same, whereas NFTs are the non-fungible kind. So it's basically you can tokenize a thing that is one of a kind. So non-fungible simply means they're different. So the way I look at it is that tokens can, we've now got the tools to digitally describe anything. So we can describe things that, are basically all the same um, or can be functionally treated all the same. Or we can represent these things and have them individual. And so an NFT at the contract level, if you like, has a couple of important features. One is it has like an ID number, so a token ID. So I can look at this contract and say, within this contract, there's a thousand different things. And I can query that contract and say, what is number 412 and from that i can then query a chunk of metadata which gives which can be anything so it's just a data blob that describes semantically what this thing is so people will know this from things like bored apes where you've got different traits and what have you so you know this monkey has a hat on or whatever and it's got this kind of hat on but really you can swap out monkey traits for a description of anything so people have been interested in this for like diamonds for example rolex watches so a lot of the big brands are coming in and looking at tokenizing handbags and for proof of authenticity and things like this so the nft market if you like is now developing it's we've had this kind of jpeg phase and i think we'll we'll increasingly move into describing and tokenizing real world assets, or in bits of art that are a bit more substantial than your average series of JPEGs.
0: And this, with the narrative of the tokenization of everything, really picks up steam, right? Because yeah, you can feasibly tokenize
1: everything now. The challenge of tokenization is normally around the oracle problem. Back in 2017, there was a huge spate of projects. So NFTs been a thing for a quite long time that
0: just just quickly before we jump in do you want to just quickly describe an oracle
1: so an oracle is basically a data output so an oracle comes from the this kind of like idea that there is a oracle of truth ancient greek philosophy right yeah it's basically an oracle is an entity that knows the truth yeah if i'm going to so we use them a lot In finance.vote for understanding the current prices of assets in the market. So, Chainlink is an Oracle provider. You send a message to Chainlink and say, I want the price of gold, and they will ping you back the price of gold. And that is the truth. But where that truth comes from is actually what they're doing is aggregating a bunch of data sources or a bunch of views on the price of gold from Bloomberg terminals and various other sources averaging them, and then sending back a mean price of that. So it's a kind of fallback to, it's. they become the source of truth, and, yeah. which is one of the big bull cases for Chainlink, but it's relatively limited, very liquid, very where you've got data sources from what this thing is. Now, if I'm going to tokenize a house, so let's say like we want to tokenize the house you're in, and then sell that house on the market, for whatever the book value of that house is someone buys it how do you then transfer the ownership to that so there's this idea called the oracle problem which is basically you might own the token for this house but what if someone moves into the house <laughs> when you, just because you've got the token doesn't mean that you actually own the house and have so it falls back to a legal construct like whose whose name is on the land registry and all that sort of stuff. So NFTs are in a state where it's actually very easy to tokenize something that's purely digital, which is largely why the art market has kicked off, mainly digital art and what have you, because it's easy to pass around the rights to ownership of that, of that piece of art. In fact, it's not even that easy to do that because there's been lots of argument about the rights and the creative common rights and the licensing frameworks around around pieces of art and whether you actually, if you own a Bored Ape, do you have the rights to then go and commercialize that? And actually the licenses for them is largely, yes, you can. But then people can, you know, the right click, save as people say, I've just copied your ape, (laughs) ha ha ha, now I've got it. So there's a whole piece around how you then genuinely reflect ownership of those tokens as they move around, which is one of the big challenges of NFTs going forward. So yeah, just to su- summarize really, the NFTs have this huge possibility to be able to transfer ownership using these liquid secondary markets through marketplaces like OpenSea. And then there's all this settlement infrastructure that is part, might, will turn up in the next few years, which basically genuinely transfers meaningful ownership as you own that NFT. So we can describe anything. Now we get a secondary market for anything. And this has huge possibilities from everything from gaming to art to real world assets.
0: Great summary. And in terms of the NFT market, like you say, it's been mostly encompassed by this sort of art slash profile picture project type stuff you know what happened in the nft market it went ballistic there for a while every man and his dog was talking about nfts
1: yeah again nfts been around for ages the 721 contract was very much there in 2015 16 the big boom in the last cycle was crypto kitties the top signal of that cycle was I remember some guy buying a crypto kitty for a hundred grand and then it all crashed. Yep, that all would do people- it. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually found this guy on Twitter. I was like, yeah, can you remember that guy who bought a crypto kitty for hundred grand? He was like, yep, that was me. I've still got it. And yeah, so that was, there was a huge hype cycle around that. It, that was when the real frenzy kicked off in 2017. There was the Ethereum blockchain got so clogged. It basically crashed Ethereum because gas prices went insane there was a real frenzy over them. Everyone went ballistic for Crypto Kitties. And then the kind of bubble popped then and it went into real obscurity. And in in the bear market, that's when CryptoPunks released. And you know, people bought them for $20, $30 or whatever. And yeah, you know, if you did that, then you ended up with in some cases a million dollar NFT. They kicked off this cycle. We started the bull run, Bitcoin and Ethereum broke all-time highs, and NFTs were still A very obscure thing. I remember talking to one of the real believers of NFTs at the beginning of the cycle, a guy called Art Nomi. He was like lamenting the fact that everything in crypto was kicking off, but NFTs were still basically dead. And one of the things I said was like, actually, we just need one of these celebrities or one of these catalysts to go, hey, I've got this NFT and it's, and it's introduce it to the world. And then they'll go bang. And that's basically what happened. The CryptoPunks in particular started gaining real value. They 100 x 1000 x from where they were at the bottom. And that kicked off the whole frenzy. So I think it was CryptoPunks basically led the market. They're the kind of OG item. And then the real frenzy kicked off. Bored Apes launched and there was a few of these, what they called blue chip NFTs, where these major brands, you know, art brands or PFP brands kicked off. There was a huge frenzy around those. And then people realized you could make a load of money selling JPEGs. And that's when the real frenzy kicked off. So we had hundreds of NFT mints a day. And it just, as is normally the case in crypto, just ended up like max scam, where people were like commissioning silly nft pfp projects on fiverr making them for like a few hundred bucks and then selling them for six million dollars <laughs> and then it just got really silly and yeah uh, unsurprisingly the bubble has now popped and the nft market volumes have gone from being like hundreds of millions a day to in the tens of thousands and on some
0: chains in the hundreds
1: yeah, so I looked at the Avalanche NFT market, and, and Avalanche really went all in on the NFT hype and really made it, and because that was the kind of play. we Over the cycle, we saw Ethereum NFTs really kick off. Gas prices went insane. If you wanted to buy an NFT or mint an NFT on Ethereum, just the minting costs were a few hundred bucks. DeFi happened, then tokens happened, then NFTs happened. And then basically what happened, what the other L1s tried to do is rerun this game on their chain with low fees. Yep. So Solana NFTs really picked up and because all you need is a token contract. One of the difficulties with the likes of Solana was that engineering new contracts on there's very difficult because there's fairly limited documentation. It's a difficult language to program in, so it uses Rust so not there wasn't many novel contracts because developing these things were difficult so nfts really kicked off on solana and then all the other evm chains had a go at it avalanche really went hard on nfts polygon did and actually largely at the moment polygon is where most of the market is at the moment very low fees free mints but yeah on avalanche it's totally dead as a dodo about few hundred bucks globally on their marketplace it's gone to zero you could say at the moment
0: yeah i think it's a good recap of the market It went ballistic uh, it took off lots of money was made lots of scams were run and as you say it's gone to zero effectively but the technology the underlying thing is still it is what it is right <clears throat> we actually had two major bubbles
1: in the nft market and the first hype around the kind of blue chip nfts we had this huge run and volumes went ballistic. And then they dropped down to this very limited volume moments. And that happened in like May 2021. And everyone thought it was over for NFTs. And then it boomed again. And this the next time round was 2x higher. So I think they're going to be very bubbly. I think they're going to have short-term hype cycles where everything booms up and then crashes back down to basically nothing. And then the same will happen again. So I've got a feeling we'll have these micro-bubbly markets in NFTs where there's, for some reason, something comes around that kicks off the market and everyone gets excited about NFTs again. And then, then people break out of the fever dream that JPEGs are worth
0: hundreds of thousands of dollars and then it pops again. And I think we'll see lots of that. So I was talking to a chap yesterday who has four of the Damien Hirst. Yeah, Art pieces that were put on palm, and he's got two digital, two real. It's going to make a really cool display with the two real on the wall, and then yeah. two digital art frames underneath. Yeah, and I think that's amazing. And when you look at so what happened on palm is Damien Hurst the artist, released a ten thousand piece NFT series. You actually have one, don't you? No, I bought one. I, I was, I got one in the mint. Yeah, yeah. And you had a choice whether you could redeem it for the real world piece of art or you could keep the NFT. So you burn the NFT, redeem the physical piece, or keep the NFT and burn the real world art. In the end, it turned out to be a 50 50 thing. Yeah, it
1: was about half and half. And I think that was largely because of that mechanic where, like, I couldn't, I wanted a real one and a digital one. They got quite expensive after that. But yeah, I was always like, I'm going to keep the NFT, digital world and all that. But yeah, that's that that was the play i think a lot of people bought two redeemed one and kept the digital one to do that kind of display thing so i actually think that project was a real highlight of showing the potential of this in the kind of finer art world if you
0: like yes for the art use case because because i think yeah. the nft use case all in all which i suppose we could touch it briefly on now is that and i'm pretty sure everyone not everyone listens to this is going to agree with me but you know, things like passports employment contracts mortgages. All of these things, I believe, will become NFTs in the future. I don't see a reason why they wouldn't become tokenized and you wouldn't have your ownership of these things on the blockchain and immutable effectively. Yeah, and I I think the a
1: huge amount of the digital identity space is focused on NFTs because again it's just a it's a data object, right? Yeah. You can conceptualize your identity in the Chinese social credit system as an NFT.
0: Yay. It's,
1: uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, and this is why <laughs> digital um, gulags all round. Yeah, so yeah, I think there's all of that's probably going to happen. Say, so I think there's actually loads of startups looking at tokenizing things like mortgages and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the problem. A lot with a lot of it, is because they're just basically hyper-public. I tokenize my mortgage, anyone can look at my address and see my mortgage. And yes. that's not necessarily a very desirable thing. So-
0: it's, it's all about, so at the moment, ETH would be the base layer for most of these things. and yep. uh, Obviously, is isn't particularly privacy-friendly. It is what it is. It's an open, public ledger. Yep. There are other chains, though, that are not trying to replace ETH. I think the ETH killer narrative is dead yeah i mean it's it'll come back again like it always does you think so i I don't know i think after the merge it, (laughs) it feels
1: like the eth killer narrative is done this is what people thought in 2017 the eth killers were the likes of eos cardano yeah and they're going to be bigger than ethereum and then they have a kind of boom but then don't ever pick up the same network effects as ethereum and i think largely that happens because Platform tokens, L1 tokens have been the way for VCs to make a lot of money. Yeah. So they were the hugely investable things. But the reality of it is picking up the actual human interaction with them, the network effects of people building. It's like setting up a home on a chain. And if you've got... You've, you've ba- basically made digital land, like a digital nation state. But if you've got no citizens, they just turn into like zombie chains. And... We've seen a lot of that. But again, I think there's a few tail end L1s that come out, Aptos and SUI and the like. And no doubt there will be another fresh batch of blockchain L1s in the next cycle that
0: people will say are going to overtake Ethereum and then don't. It's just what's going to happen. (laughs) You're probably right, to be honest. So what went well then with NFTs? like over Not necessarily last year, but just encapsulating the whole NFT piece. I think there's, there was the
1: bits that I watched a few of these things. I remember the art movement obviously went incredibly well in places, particularly the fine art stuff. So I watched two of these mints. This, one of the big mid-curve things I did was watch Squiggles mint out and was like, hold on a minute. I was looking at art blocks, mints, and there was, I watched two. One, one I actually really liked, which was the Ringers piece, which is basically like digital generative fine art. And I was like, people are paying like three, five, three to five hundred bucks for these. That's insane. And then they actually went to a like million dollars each or something at one point. Ouch. Yeah, We should ouch. do an
0: episode called Mid-Curve.
1: Yeah, <coughs> <laughs> and like the things I could have checked out and retired on over the last few years. And the other one was Squiggles. I was like, people are minting Squiggles. This is utterly silly and they were like 50 bucks and it, yeah if you would minted a few of them again millionaire but so that but ultimately though i think that really i showed the generative art, generative art was a real thing and i think there's like fidenza's and a few of these different things that showcase that actually the contracts are art so the art the artist if you like is the smart contract creator with a creative flair. So I thought generative art really worked and showcased, actually brought something new and novel to the as a medium to the art industry, which I thought is definitely going to be a thing again. I think generative art was a big win. And obviously the PFP thing, one of the things I thought might happen, which is someone bought a cool cat NFT or whatever for tens of thousands of dollars that's now worth 500 bucks or something, and then they get super embarrassed about it and drop it off their PFP on Twitter or whatever. But actually, everyone's still a PFP on Twitter. I am. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was a stoner cat for a little bit, but... People started accusing me of being a shill for Stoner Cats. I'm like, oh, they're not paying me. <laughs> I was like, I just like the cat. And so I dropped it, and I thought everyone else will. But no, largely, they've so they've been a big success. I think PFPs are likely to have another boom again. I think they'll have probably more branded backing this time. To So the, you've got to delineate between these really dodgy, fiver, low-cost cash-grab PFPs and the ones that actually develop a
0: community so i think pfp's worked can or, i add a layer on to that actually yeah go. which is i think that so basically it brought in creative types into crypto so yes you had crypto has been very much crypto economics token economics token engineering Right side of the brain. Are you a dev? Are you a math nerd? Into finances? Are you into economics? If you are, cryptos for you. And that was basically there's been the story of crypto since its inception. Yeah. And when the NFT craze started, actually what it brought in was like I actually, I'm a photographer and I'm yeah. I can do stuff and I'm a painter. I'm a musician and it basically enabled like a whole new type of person to get involved. And it also, on top of that, on top of bringing in the creative left left side of the brain types, it brought in the general public. Most people know what NFT is. They might not know what a token is, they might not really know what NFT does, but they're familiar with the word. You ask them what a blockchain is, they probably won't know. But- yeah, I completely agree. I think this it brought in it opened up this entire new market to
1: the non-technical people with non-technical interests and skill skill sets came into the market. That was certainly one of the things that was went really well. I think it opened up an entirely new market for crypto and I thought that was great. Um, yeah, and I think we, it's transcended and we mentioned this in another episode, but like the web three strategy thing, all of a sudden, every major brand is looking at NFTs to do some aspect of tokenization for their brand. And the things that started to emerge towards the tail end of the cycle were things like, like the Damien Hirst thing we were just talking about, they call them fidgetal. So like phys- physical, digital crossover stuff where you can redeem your NFT for a physical piece. I thought that was very interesting. But the problem, I think, was that a lot of the prices, because of the vibrant secondary market, well, there was so much money to be made on the volumes that everything got overvalued, and things that were very abstract, digital, non-real things got valued way too high, Yeah, and things got a bit overheated. And I think Mm -hmm. we're back into the, let's find out what the real value of these things are.
0: And ironically, that's happening now with, it's free mints now. So people are minting NFT yeah. series of mint free, and then the secondary market is where the actual price is determined.
1: Yeah, and I think there's there was that project where the guy raised like quarter of a billion dollars on free mints. The Saudi
0: guys. It was
1: Gabriel Lyden, that free-to-own oh, yes. idea. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. So that was, again, I think if we're going into kind of like where it all went wrong, obviously when the bubble pops and there's a lot of people bag-holding, NFTs that were bought for an extreme amount of money. There was like stories of dudes selling their mortgaging their house to buy a Bored Ape like for 500 grand or something. And it's now heavily down. But Bored Apes have retained a huge amount of value. I think think there's still 70, 80 ETH. But I think the cycle of the Bored Apes thing really demonstrated how it went wrong. It started with the original Bored Ape collection. Then they sold it, They did, then they did Mutant Apes and then Dogs and Kennels or whatever it was, and then they went into the Ape Land thing, <clears throat> and really the last major NFT mint, and the whole cycle was that other side mint, which was a huge frenzy, and then it had the Ape Coin drop with it and everything, and basically Yuga Labs picked up I don't know, it was half a billion dollars off a of mint, two hundred I think it was $200 million got burnt in gas fees.
0: Yeah, it was huge. I can't remember how much it was. It uh, massive.
1: So that, where it largely started to go wrong was the game became upselling people. Hold this NFT, get another one. Hold that NFT, get another one. Hold this NFT, get some tokens. And this kind of... It all got a bit cash grabby. And... Largely, what you're trying to do is shovel a huge amount of demand through a finite token supply. So what NFTs did that iterated the token economics game was this idea of scarcity. Oh, We've got less of them, therefore they're valuable. And they're valuable just because there's only 10,000 or there's only 5,000 of them or whatever. But there's 500,000 people that want them. So the mints descended into this run for the door game where everyone's trying to squeeze in through this door and then that excess demand carries through into the secondary market. And it just all got a bit cash grabby. And a lot of it became this kind of crypto economic problem of who gets the NFTs when there's more demand than supply. And a lot of what went wrong was insiders got a lot of the supply which allowed them to flip into the market afterwards. You give your influencers a budget of the NFTs. They get 10 of them. They put one as their profile picture. And then everyone sort of jumps in because that person has done. And Vitalik wrote a piece on called Selling NFTs Under Market Rate. So you think this NFT is going to go to 5 ETH, but you sell it for half an ETH. And that pushes everyone into a mint contract. and. Basically, the pricing dynamic then gets pushed into the mempool, and you have this kind of crypto-economic war where people are gas-racing each other to get the NFTs, and largely it breaks the public blockchain, because if it's, it became like the weather, you're like, you're going to try and use the blockchain that day, but there happens to be a Gary V mint or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then the blockchain is totally unusable for the whole day because everyone's, there's some NFT frenzy somewhere. It became a kind of tragedy of the commons problem where people were just burning money. Like now Ethereum runs on fee burns, literally $200 million on that other side. Mint got burnt, literally setting money on fire. it's It's in the digital sense. And that's when the market got played out. All the, everyone's ETH, that were sitting in their wallet to buy stuff got basically dragged it either into yuga labs's bank balance which they immediately sold all that eth so they collected 600 million dollars in eth and then immediately sold it like so that it crashed the nft it crashed the eth market took everyone's money and then it's over the all the liquidity in the market was just basically drained out a lot of money got burnt in gas fees and then there's no one else left to buy NFTs in the secondary market. And that's largely where I think it started to go really wrong was everything got a little bit greedy, but the major projects were flipping second mint, third mint, fourth mint, everything went into marketing. A few examples, like the Mikaverse mint was one of the ones that I thought was a good example of this. It was like, oh, 3D, 3D kind of looking NFTs are going to be big. They really hyped it up. They got all the influencers going, generated a huge amount of hype. Then when they revealed, they all looked the same. (laughs) There was like like a little robot thing with a green hat or a red hat. And it's like barely any difference. And that one really badly flopped. And it, it goes both ways. When the market's up, people see, oh, people who bought this got a Hundred X out of it, but the inverse happens. It's like people who bought this for fifty ETH and it's now worth half an ETH, and people are watching. There's really visible and public losses, and then people just stop buying, and that's where everything went wrong.
0: Is there? any I wanted to segue us into part of the meat of this section which I think we're both going to enjoy talking about. But is there anything you wanted to add on to that before we do that? Where else things went wrong?
1: So yeah, we're going to talk about the Trump myth. We are. Which is
0: like, I'll, so... I'm going to play... You know, can I play the advert first? Because I think... It, do, yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely stone cold brilliant.
2: Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump. Hopefully your favourite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump Digital Cards just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of the best parts. Each card comes with an automatic chance to win amazing prizes like Dinner With Me. I don't know if that's an amazing prize, but it's what we have or golf with you and a group of your friends at one of my beautiful golf courses and they are beautiful i'm also doing zoom calls a one-on-one meeting autographing memorabilia and so much more we're doing a lot my official trump digital trading cards are 99 dollars which doesn't sound like very much for what you're getting buy one and you will join a very exclusive community it's my community and i think it's something you're going to like and you're going to like it a lot they also make perfect gifts so you can buy them with your credit card or crypto all you need is an email address go to collecttrumpcards.com and buy your trump digital trading cards right now before they are all gone and they will be gone this is my first official trump trading card nft collection and you get a chance to meet me go to collecttrumpcards.com right now and remember Christmas is coming, and this makes a great Christmas gift. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited.
0: So, if we're going to let's segue this into your president and my president, our <laughs> <This> president
2: is-
0: <laughs> Donald Trump. I wouldn't call him my president. I think, yeah, the Donald. It's re-kicked
1: off the NFT market. This is the fir- so I've been waiting for. Basically, sometimes you just need one win, right, for people to get excited about NFTs again. And this is, yeah, Donald Trump doing... It's the most Donald Trump NFT you can imagine. It's exactly what you can imagine. It's Donald Trump with flames behind him and a cowboy hat with laser beams coming out of his eyes and stuff like that. It's really tacky. Lots of guns. Lots of... Donald the businessman, Donald the spaceman. they got him in, like, space suits and all this sort of stuff. And generally, the mechanic was... If you bought one of these things, then you got entered into a sweepstake where certain NFTs would basically give you, I don't know, a golf game with Donald Trump or something or a dinner with him at Mar-a-Lago or whatever. So yeah, and actually it's very much in the design of what people think is the next wave of NFTs. So we talked about utility NFTs just before this happened in a previous episode, and Yeah, the idea is that these NFTs are redeemable for instead of cashing in your NFT for a Damien Hearst painting, you're cashing it in for dinner with Donald Trump or whatever. So yeah, it's kicked off the market again. The last time I checked, the NFTs had at least 10X'd, so they minted for around $100 each. They were on Polygon, close to no gas fees, healthy secondary market, and yeah, they've all 10X'd, which I knew would happen. But I didn't mint one partly because i didn't want any Donald Trump NFTs in my public wallet but also because you had to KYC to do it so yep. uh, to go and get my passport and i'm like i'm not KYCing for Donald Trump no chance
0: don't want Donald Trump to have any of my money
1: frankly yes yeah, exactly. and so- this is the thing i'm not sure he did get the money so what Donald Trump did was sell his image rights to a utah based company who then went and did a NFT mint and they said, look, if we sell it out, I think there was 45,000 of them. And if they sold out, they'd raised four and a half million dollars. So they must have he must have said, Yeah, I'll sell you my image rights, two million dollars, and just thought it was a very easy thing to do. There was a bit there was a really interesting thing that happened after, which I still don't know if it's fake news or not, which is <laughs> rather hilarious that right. this came with a genuine fake news thing that I couldn't actually verify. I tried my best. There was this release that came out, this sort of press release from Donald Trump. It's very much written in Donald Trump language that said, I'm stepping down from the NFT project and we're turning it into a DAO and the DAO will be in control of it. I was like, is this real? And it was like one of these announcements that came from, what's Donald Trump's social media platform? Yeah. Truth Social. I think that's it. Yeah. So. Now, I'm not on Truth Social. I'm not like. Ironically, uh, he's got a social media (laughs)
0: company called Truth.
1: Yeah, that seemingly pumps out fake news. (laughs) It's brilliant. And yeah, so I still haven't verified. I can't verify if this is real or not. Everyone's like, is this real? And then there's a bunch of people saying, nah, it's not real. And there's a bunch of people saying, yeah, I can't believe this is real. So that's something that might develop out of this. Now, if Donald Trump turns, but ends up running a doubt, in reality, I think what he's doing is just basically saying, this is not of my business anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. I've pumped the mint, I'm out. But nevertheless, even after that, the thing's still pumped a whole lot. And yeah, it's seemingly certainly kicked off the NFT market again, at least on Polygon. volume is 50 x from what it was prior to the mint. So we might be in a scenario where similar types of mints with similar magnitude celebrities start doing this kind of thing. So yeah, it's been quite interesting to watch. It did fail on a number of fronts though. And actually this is, I think I tweeted this the other day, says, thank you Donald Trump for exposing the frailties of NFT mints. So one of the things that happened, actually you didn't have to KYC. All you needed to do was go to the smart contract and call the mint function and you could bypass the KYC thing. So, actually, that's a huge problem if he's saying, we need to comply to regulations and do KYC, which basically covers you for AML and all that sort of stuff, making sure Donald Trump isn't picking up money from North Korean terrorists or whatever. But actually, he might have done, because you can you could bypass the KYC function and go straight to the smart contract. So one of the things that we've designed is actually gate the Access to the NFT contract itself. So you have to go through the front end using Merkle tree cryptography. So he does a big favor there by essentially allowing anyone to bypass the KYC process using a very rudimentary kind of NFT contract. And then the other thing that happened was they reserved 1,000 of the 45,000 NFTs for themselves and then minted all the rare ones themselves. Unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't fair in the sense that some of these, some of the utility that was in these NFTs, like a golf game with Donald Trump or whatever, was five in. Was five of those NFTs out of forty five thousand that got you that, and I think they minted four of them themselves. And so of that thousand, I think over half of them were the the rare one of ones or the the NFTs that give you access to Donald Trump in some in in some big way. So that, again, is one of the things that we've been thinking about. And the problem was you could just look at the metadata and see which ones the rare ones were. So what we need is systems that actually hide which are the rare ones before you mint. So this happened as this a fairly systemic problem across NFT mints across the space over the last couple of years. You've got some of them that are pretty rare or rarer than the others. If you can look at the contract before you mint and mint the rare ones. So this happened with loot as well. And this was actually what, it was the loot mint that drove us into designing this thing. So you could look at the metadata before you minted and mint the the super rare loot item, Divine Mm -hmm. Robes or whatever it was. So yeah, like unsurprisingly, the Donald Trump mint was a bit of a scam. But largely, it's on brand for Donald Trump. People It came loaded with fake news. It was a rigged game. It was a hyper-capitalist greed fest. And largely people are rather happy about it. And it's still going pretty well.
0: No surprises, right? Yeah, um, none at all. None at all. It was, so number one, the contract was open at a smart contract layer. So you could go in, you could see the metadata, you could mint directly from the smart contract, which yeah. means you could bypass all the KYC and everything you put into place. And you could also... Scan the metadata see which one was the rare, the rarest one, and then mint. Unbelievable! Like we, it's like we've learned nothing from the last two years. Yeah, uh, and then obviously the team minted the rarest ones. Brilliant! Thank you very much, Donald Trump's team, or whoever was running the project. Was there anything else that you think it's we need to be aware of with this mint? I think there's
1: a few things. There's so if you've read the terms and conditions, Donald Trump at any point can essentially. So, I what I think might happen is. I'm just looking at OpenSea now. They've actually gone down a little bit in price. They went north of 1 ETH, and now they're back at a 0.2 ETH floor. But I think they'll go up and down quite a lot. But there's, yes, this 7,500 ETH volume has run through this thing. So well over $7 million volume has happened on this. And he's going to be looking at that. They're taking 10% royalties on each one of these trades. And... Yeah, the Donald's going to be going, hold on a minute. This is a money printer with my image on, and I'm not sure his deal got him a share of the royalties fees. So this thing will run and run and be generating over the next few years, like potentially tens of millions of dollars of revenue just for people trading it around. And I can imagine Donald being really upset about the fact that there's a money printer with his face on, that he's not on that side of the game. So, I'm interested in the deal that he's got. Now, if you look at the terms and conditions, he can basically withdraw his image rights at any time. He could, in theory, say, All right, you can't use my face anymore. And all those NFTs go blank because there's a centralized server that holds that essentially this team can. They, so they could genuinely rub the images from it. I think it's a question of when, not if, right? Because, <laughs> yeah, I think he's going
0: to. It what depends he does. if he's
1: going he's gonna, to he's gonna try and shake down that team to get that money off the trading fees.
0: He's not afraid of shaking down President Zelensky back in the day <laughs> yeah, over anyway. Hunter Biden's laptop. He was like completely okay yeah. with saying we withdraw weapons from
2: you. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, he's like the ultimate businessman, right? He'll do anything for the business. So. I think what might happen is those NFTs go blank at some point. So again another bit of the design that we cared about was actually being in in self custody of the art. What you actually want is the ability to you you are in full custody of the not just the NFT token but the art or the data that is associated with it. So you could in theory self-host that that data and have a truly decentralized hosting system. We use IPFS to do this. So, yeah, basically every aspect of this mint demonstrated why we've built our minting suite to be to address those things. And I think there's been several instances where we built tech that solves problems that people didn't know were problems yet. And the Donald had Donald has just demonstrated all the problems perfectly for us, which is why we're talking about it now. And I think. I, hoping to in the new year really dissect this mint and say look if you're going to do this properly you need basically a people need to be in self custody of the art just in case the game is that you started out changes in the background i think if you're going to try and do a regulated nft mint and you want people to genuinely kyc and do proper aml procedures on it then you need to limit access to the nft contract to people who've gone through the appropriate steps and prove that their money's not laundry money or whatever and you if you're going to have claimable utility then you need to make it so insiders or even outsiders who can interrogate the smart contract can't get all the rare ones so i think that's that's where it's going to go and i think for the NFT market to kick into this next phase. There's some root level infrastructure that needs to happen
0: to to make sure it all happens in a kind of fair and open way. Yeah. So that was going to be the next part of what we we're going to talk about was the future of NFTs. I feel like you've covered a bit of that there though. Yeah, I think there's
1: I think that's what needs to happen at the during the mint. At an infrastructure level, right. At an infrastructure level to make these things work for... If the likes of Nike or whatever are going to do an NFT series with claimable shoes and some of those shoes are rare, then they need to make sure that certain actors can't jump into the mint and mint the rare ones. But in terms of... So once you've nailed the tools to do this properly then you'll be able to conduct these things a in a regulated fashion because you'll be able to people will be able to come through the Nike store and buy these things and it all that stuff needs to happen and make sure Nike aren't picking up dirty money on the other side that it hasn't come via tornado cash for example and yeah so i think a bit of infrastructure stuff but largely where's it going in terms of the future of it I think there's a few major buckets. I think we'll see, like I say, major brands building these into their release cycles, looking at things like major Hollywood studios, the likes of your Marvels and Disney and all that sort of stuff. People like Nickelodeon have been early movers on this, where you're, you're releasing your movie and normally you'd have all this merch and stuff that comes along alongside it. And I think basically all of them will have some kind of, digital collectible that goes with it as well. So I think we'll start to see major major... I think the recent Lord of the Rings show had a whole NFT digital experience piece alongside it. So I think there'll be, as part of the release sequence of our product, of a franchise, NFTs are just going to be part of it all. And I think regardless of the... State of the market, I think they'll do rather well because you know things like your average Marvel movie can turn over one and a half billion dollars and it'll get to the point where if you don't do an nft you'll leave you're leaving tens of millions of dollars on the table. so it'll just become a de facto part of that thing and it'll be less about the secondary market and more just people spending a hundred bucks to have to hold this collectible long term. And it gives you access to something like, you remember DVDs, you used to get like director's commentaries or whatever. DVDs? Yes, DVDs, good old DVDs, where you used to buy like special editions and you'd have another yeah, yeah. disc with commentary or with whatever. I think that'll just move into a gated NFT thing. So yeah, that that's one big piece of it. I think we'll see dynamic NFTs are likely to be a big thing where the NFT changes over time based on your interaction, either by paying more money. So I get to level up my NFT from a bronze NFT to a gold NFT or something like that. And that gives me exclusive access to various other things like memberships or subscriptions. And I think that kind of the subscription model is kind of getting played out. Like Netflix, for example, simply took the movie rental thing and turned it into a subscription model. And that was enough to generate a multi-billion-dollar business and reform the whole industry. Same with, same way that Spotify has really changed the music game. People don't buy a media anymore; they just stream via Spotify and pay a subscription. Bob's done it, so there's everyone's trying to vie for your subscription model, for your subscription money. And now there's four types: there's four Spotifys and five Netflixes, and all these sort of things. And and I think people have basically hit their capacity of expendable income that can go on subscriptions so that they're kind of topping out like even Netflix recently has started to clamp down on people sharing accounts because their revenues are dropping the stocks crashed and they spend a lot of money on content so I really think nfts will come in as a new kind of business model where you can have tiered subscriptions and then these things can have a secondary market and they can make money on the turn on the commission. Of people selling these things in the secondary market, so I think, yeah, reforms to the subscription model. I think there's a new kind of whole new kinds of business models that I think very big and conventional brands will move into the NFT space with. I think we've been waiting for the gaming space to really go bang with NFTs. I know the likes of Microsoft and Ubisoft and all these major game gaming enterprises have, have, are all looking at NFTs as ways to juice up their business models. The challenges there are that basically you could end up introducing hyper DGen gambling to kids. The gaming market is very it's a youthful market, right? Yeah. There's a lot of under 18. But What's the game called the
0: again? The where they, they had the big festival in the metaverse?
1: Uh, oh uh Fortnite. Thank you. So, so Fortnite just got sued a huge amount of money, like $250 million for selling digital items to kids. Without them really knowing, I think they basically said, look, you kids basically spent a load of their parents' money, probably, upgrading their skins or whatever, and you kind of compelled them to do it without them really knowing that they were paying money for it. They were just hitting okay on the kind of, yeah, I want this battle pack or whatever. And, yeah, times that by 10,000 with NFTs. yeah, And we're going to see... We'll see ten-year-old kids becoming millionaires because they've grinded some free NFTs out of a game and plugged them onto the secondary market. And I think it'll cause a huge moral panic.
0: But I, mean, I think, it, yeah, no, I agree. I think it's going to happen. I think where I see the biggest use case and introduction to normies is where it exists already in terms of the nature of the interaction with the product, but it's not using NFTs currently, and that's just loyalty cards.
1: Yes. Miles, things like that.
0: Definitely. I think there's, I know for a fact,
1: there's a few major, the the loyalty point thing has always been a great use case for the fungible tokens. But things like picking up NFTs at hotels and for airlines and things like that, there's a lot of people talking about them. I think when it comes to major brands and stuff, the regulations are going to be the bit that makes it challenging for them because it does introduce this speculative secondary market. <clears throat> dynamic into everything. And I think there'll be people who regret doing it.
0: I think that's, um, yeah, I don't see an issue with the secondary market for like air miles and like loyalty points. If you collect a million coffee points or whatever from Starbucks, yeah. if you're not going to use them, you should be able to actually do something with them. Yeah, you should. Be,
1: and that was always the kind of bull case for them that you can have these kind of, I've picked up all these air miles, but I'm not planning on doing any traveling. So I'll sell them to someone who is yeah and and then you'll have people who literally just spend their time playing the secondary market being kind of resellers or traders on those things i think it's a huge use case and i think will really change that industry so i think both fungible tokens and nfts will be huge in the
0: kind of loyalty
1: loyalty incentive game
0: um, and that's going to onboard millions of normies. And it won't be called yeah. an NFT. It won't be an NFT. It won't be called a token. It'll yeah. be points and card or whatever. Yeah, exactly. The, and people are already saying, oh, we should stop calling them NFTs
1: and call them digital collectibles and all that sort of stuff, which will probably happen. It's um, gone down that path already, haven't they? Yeah. So the Reddit thing did. There was. People have been buying those things, but in terms of old school NFT numbers, it hasn't really, really shook the world that much. I think they've made a few million dollars out of it. When you consider the reach of Reddit, it's actually a little bit disappointing. But yeah, there'll be something that, we've been saying this for a long time, but there'll be something that drags in the normies into in, into crypto via these things. Yeah, And it's probably along the lines of loyalty points from big brands that make it happen. Yeah, I also think the real world asset, piece is probably going to be a big chunk of the future of NFTs. I think we will see the provenance piece by the likes of Rolex. I know they're working on that. I know the likes of Gucci were working on this back in 2017. So I think there's real world assets are going to be a huge piece for it. And yeah, that we'll see some new novel Web3 use cases emerge that we haven't imagined yet. So new dynamics of token economics that will come in. Uniswap V3 use these things as tokenized liquidity positions. I think we'll see more DeFi use cases. And the, the one that I'm incredibly bullish on is the whole SBT, actual non-financial use cases of, of NFTs. And I think they're going to be a
0: huge part of the governance, decentralized governance bit. I totally agree with the non-financial governance piece. And if anyone listening isn't aware of what we're talking about, one of the first episodes we did was on SBTs. So there's like a whole primer for you there to go back and listen to and get your head into. Yeah,
1: that's right. So yeah, we're again, we're starting to see this point in the market when everything just, everything runs on easy mode in a bull run. Because regardless of whether it's a dog coin or a DeFi token with real utility, number goes up. So when however when the market's going down and the number of real buyers in the market drops to a very nominal amount all these kind of things fail and we've certainly seen the one token one vote thing end up with a few small actors actually could just control the whole network and it's back to a not very decentralized system where actually the using nfts and even like non-transferable NFTs, SBTs, can allow you to do decentralized governance that's non-financial. It's not purely plutocratic. So I think we'll see that'll be a huge narrative next year. And hopefully we're positioning ourselves to be a big part of the big player in that, if you like. So yeah, I think the that's the future of NFTs, they're not going anywhere. I think there'll be a point where it all booms again. It all gets hyper speculative. Your sports teams will be coming in, already happening. Like almost every major footballer will have an NFT collectible on the market at some point. And it's probably where the market will pick up first again. I think the Trump NFT is the first signs of life of a return to token buying again. And yeah the celebrities are going to come in the one of the major bull cases for nfts is that largely outside of the regulatory perimeter for most countries at the moment so certainly in the uk here we've quite clearly said nfts are not in our consideration at the moment they might change their minds after all the recent stuff but largely as long as you pay your vat on them you can sell nfts in the uk whereas doing an ico is a much more challenging thing to do
0: interesting point yeah that really does Encapsulate where we're at right now and, and what the potential future looks like. I know that we wanted to have a bit of a look back at 2022 as well. So I think this could be an interesting time for us to do a little bit of a news review of 2022. There's a lot that's happened this year. Actually, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of them are kind of, in many ways. Where do you want to kick it off?
1: I think we could probably do it a little bit chronologically. So, as a kind of review of the year, I started writing a little review of the year thread yesterday and try and drop in the next week or so and yeah uh, looking at the charts yesterday we came into the new year after a little bit of a sell-off but it was the market was still really hot like the ethereum had just hit a new all-time high in december and then basically market drew down around 20 25% from its all-time highs over the christmas period but we came into the new year really bullish we were still right around this sort of top period we were roughly around all-time high prices but it was around it like so we started the year super bullish but then it, it really started to go bad in the second week of jan we broke this kind of major support area around the top yeah and it's and, it, and we started to hit these kind of a really major sell off throughout January and February but there was no real reason for it other than other than just the market cooling down a little bit so the first quarter there was a fairly aggressive sell off but there was no real major catalyst for it where things started to go wrong i remember i was in i'd gone over to the states in i think it was march march april time for for this dow camp thing so we'd all gone there in this kind of Really lovey dovey kind of hippie DAO gathering, and where everyone was like thinking DAO's going to change the world, it's going to happen imminently. What we didn't discuss, if we're thinking chronologically, is the wormhole hack. Yeah, the, that was the other, and again, the slightly decoupled from the market dynamics, but again, centralized issues of bridges between chains. So the wormhole hack was rather crazy. That was the bridge crazy. That, yeah. bridge between ETH and Solana was hacked simply. It turned out it was the North Koreans, right? This was another yeah. thing that led... This was the Lazarus Group, literally terrorist organization based out of North Korea, that managed to... And it was, again, it was a rather rudimentary design flaw in the Solana contracts. And I was waiting for this because Solana wasn't getting hacked, and it was mainly because no one really understood how to code on it. No one understood Rust well enough. So what happened in Ethereum in the kind of 2017, 18 period, you had a lot of these hacks and most of them, these basic re-entrancy attacks. And there was like basic threat vectors on Ethereum smart contracts that got tested out in the market when the market was small. And the issue, Solana and the kind of Rust smart contracts over there hadn't gone through this battle testing process of these things being in the open market, and when they went with 600 700 million dollars in them, a trading company, Jump, bailed the whole thing out, and they had to do that because they were heavily into Solana. The whole they were holding lots of Soul. Yeah, they had positions all over the DeFi ecosystem there, and when a bridge hat goes down, basically you're holding the ETH's gone, but you're holding like weth or whatever it is over on solana and that's now a useless empty token and what they were doing there was propping up the whole solana ecosystem and they propped it up and it still all went down <laughs> so they managed to get rugged twice basically so yeah that was that had these huge cascading implications one of which is that got stolen got rooted through tornado cash and sent back to north korea which led the Americans to then say, okay, Tornado Cash is now illegal to
0: use. Come to that, because that's, yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? So after the wormhole hack, I think the next big hack and piece of news was about two months later, the Ronin hack. And this was- Same deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, same deal. It's another side chain. So the Ronin hack was, Ronin was a blockchain that made Axie Infinity uh, cheap to use, so basically Ethereum got incredibly expensive to use because of the gas fees. Not great for a play-to-earn game, which, in itself, the yield sort of yields on playing the game, the earning you got from playing the game had started to diminish anyway, and it was going below the break-even because of the gas fees. So they spun up a kind of side chain that made it incredibly cheap to to use, but again, the the bridge there was just simply a handful of it was a basically a multi sig. It was a handful of private keys that weren't if I remember right, what had happened is they delegated during the setup of the of the chain, they delegated some of the private keys to some server or actor somewhere and forgot to revoke it. Yeah. That's so exactly there was basically hot private keys sitting on someone's computer that got breached it might have been this one that the lazarus group did actually but in any case it was two two massive clips of 600 plus million dollars that that got flushed out of the system and this was a big part of the whole early year sell off that caused a lot of the cascade so i think that the first major stress test was All of the DeFi apps had got rather overblown, and the major one being Terra Luna. There'd been a huge sell-off. Some of the people who were leveraged up to the eyeballs, which tends to what happened near to market tops, and yeah, basically everything went wrong when Terra Luna collapsed, and in and it really collapsed. It went to zero, like eight decimal places to zero. So I think that was the real turning point for the whole cycle. That's when basically the end happened. So we had Luna collapsed, and that basically took down all of the major lending platforms. So that took down Celsius, Voyager, all of those, and largely because they'd lent a load of money to Three Arrows Capital, who'd managed to go... Gig along on $1 billion of equity up to $8 billion deep. And then all of a sudden, they just lost everyone's money because they had it all in Terra Luna or a huge amount of it. So, really, the Q1 was all about over leverage. And then Q2 was all about the Terra collapse and a huge deleveraging event that cascaded through
0: the whole space. Yeah. It, the word is contagion, right? It absolutely yes. spread like coronavirus
1: yeah there's contagion 2 electric boogaloo is the bit i've called it where it's like the real contagion happened in the financial markets where and it was just really just greed had got too ridiculous and the centralized players in the system ironically for a space that is built around trustless technologies it had largely become all about a trusted game where I'll never forget that there's some of the telegram chats got leaked between like Kyle Davis of three AC and some of the lending companies. And they were like, you've got the money, right? And he's like, yeah. no, I haven't. And no, Basically they just lied to everyone. Yeah. So they said, yeah, we've got all what we'll do. We'll take, you give us $200 million and we'll give you 12% returns on it. And what, and that was the likes of Celsius who'd promised their users eight percent, and they were going to make the difference. But really, what was happening is these promises of inflated yields were getting passed down the chain. And when the when that initial market crash happened, and people couldn't make these yields that they'd promised to people, so the market was in a state where the likes of Celsius heard, but you could one of the. Ways you could almost guarantee that future yield was staking ETH. So a lot of the mar- the a lot of the market had converted their Ethereum into staked ETH in the likes of Lido and Rocket Pool, and then started trying to generate yield on like ETH and staked ETH, which was actually a rather illiquid market. What had happened is people chasing these inflated yields had got stuck into illiquid positions so everything went wrong after luna and the collapse of these centralized lending platforms could they couldn't unwind their positions so eth and state eth started to depeg they were supposed to be like one for one assets and really all these players promising high yields to everyone literally on on a telegram promise couldn't get their money out in time so, we had this ridiculous sell off that I think we, the space, we went down from the start of the year from $4,500 ETH. And at one point in, I think, May or June, it hit 800 bucks. And that's when everyone basically thought this is over. And yeah, that was the huge problem. The projects all around the space had money in volatile assets, in ETH, in their own tokens, and everything drew down 78%.
0: And consequently everything blew up because of it. Do you think the Ronin hack was part of the precursor to what caused the Lunar downfall? There's what caused so
1: one of the things I think I said this in around July, I, like, I wonder if Sam Bankman-Fried toppled Luna. Mm. And actually this is one of the things that Kyle Davis is now claiming on Twitter. That so what caused the lunar collapse? A lot of it was to do with 3 AC. And this hasn't really come out too much yet, but what it became very obvious that there was not much holding the peg together on on Terra Luna. The UST token was held together by loose arbitrage. There was, unlike MakerDAO, for example, there is on-chain mechanisms that back that back the peg. It's over collateralized with there's x amount of USDC and ETH and other stuff in the in the MakerDAO treasury. Yeah, and that makes it rather capital inefficient which stops it from really scaling very easy, but it does protect it from a DPEG event. And essentially the Luna thing was held together, but you can mint and burn UST by cashing in the network asset, Luna. So they call it endogenous collateral. It's like It's a self-referential system. Now, what was happening was this was starting to become clear that it was starting to wobble. So, you could see that this thing was having these little periodic little DPEG moments. And it was like, had this kind of weird incestuous relationship with the kind of DeFi 2 stuff that was going on over there with another stablecoin, Magic Internet Money, unbelievably, it was Brilliant. called. Brilliant memory. Which also had this like way to leave yourself up called Degen Box. And it was just like, the system was becoming very fragile. And Doquan knew this and started to say, all right, what we're going to do is back this with some real collateral, with Bitcoin. So they announced a huge Bitcoin buy, but in order to buy that Bitcoin, they started minting more UST, and they did this by essentially uncapping the minting, the limits of essentially UST that you could do it. But basically that what they had a lot of is Luna in, in their reserves, their own token. So they started con- converting all their reserve Luna into Bitcoin by selling, creating UST and selling it into the open market which just depegged it further. So incredibly reckless behaviour where they were basically selling their own network token for the stablecoin and then buying real assets with it. And I'm pretty sure they were doing using other actors like 3AC to do that and probably selling at Luna at a discount. So if Luna was 100 bucks, they could sell it Let's say at eighty bucks a token to Three AC, who would then immediately go and arbitrage that into the UST. So basically, there was a lot of people all selling UST into the market and further weakening the system. Now, at that point, you, it, I was looking at this thing thinking anyone I could have depegged it if I had enough money. It was very obvious, right? So it now comes to the point: Did someone do it on purpose? And I thought, who's the kind of person that might depeg this? Because once you depeg a stablecoin, you can short it on the way down. Yep. And if you know there's a guaranteed short on, it's free money. So I think it's quite possible that Sam uh, Almeida et al. dumped. You, all you needed to do was dump enough UST into the market. You're wiping out that capital because it's going to zero. But if you've got a big short on, you you make a huge amount of money. And I don't know how much of this will come out. It should. But now they're picking apart all the trading records. This should be pretty obvious if this happened. And yeah, I think, yeah, the play was there. So the reality of it was, all these positions of Celsius and Voyager and 3AC, they were all very deep into these DeFi things. And you could see... Their positions on chain, so it's quite unusual that you can see. Oh, that's Celsius's wallet, who are half a billion dollars deep into that position. And if I can get the price below their their liquidation point, I can liquidate them, kill them, take those as actors out of the system, and then buy all the liquidity up. That so you create basically a lot of cheap crypto. So the play was. Ah, uh, what I can do is crash Ethereum back below $1,000 again, buy it all up with the money I've made on the short on the way down, and then buy Celsius Voyager. I've killed 3AC, I've killed all my competitors, and I think that was it. He went for the Empire Yeah, And this was ultimately how the whole game went down. I think the Q3 was a little bit quiet, actually. The market basically had seemingly calmed down he hit 800 bucks bounced back up to 2x up from there and started going sideways and everything calmed down but what actually had happened and we tried to help people do nft mints throughout this period and we saw people not sell a single token
0: yeah it was horrible
1: so the whole one the interesting phenomenon that happens in crypto when people lose money the word gets around to never buy crypto everywhere in the world so the retail market just switched off. So, in the background, as we recently discovered, FTX had and Sam Bank and Fried had basically taken all this money, and he bought up some of these lending companies, and he'd gone for his empire play, but also invested a huge amount, all of the customers' money, into illiquid tokens. So he'd gone gig along everywhere on his own capital. And moved all that money into funding new tokens, thinking he could flip that money, flip those tokens into the market for a, for a ten x, which had been working for him for the last Sam coins, weeks. yeah, yeah, it'd been working for him for all that time. Invest in a project who creates a new token, pump that on listing, list it on FTX, farm it, dump it, short it, all in his own venue, and that was a free money printer for eighteen months. Yep, and. He might have de-pegged Luna and taken it all down, but what he didn't gamble on was or what he didn't bet on was that the whole retail market stopped and now he's stuck in a load of tokens that have gone down 60% or are completely illiquid and not launched yet, Which and all the projects are going, oh, I'm going to wait for the market to get better. So now he's just stuck in completely illiquid assets with loans out on his own tokens that have gone down 70%. And that is what brought us to the ftx finale to the whole thing so yeah it's a story that starts with a little bit of a market crash puts a stress test on some of the biggest products in the industry and some of the biggest players in the industry and it turned out even the smallest stress test wasn't enough to the market was fragile and the fragility in the system that was basically all these centralized players got obliterated and that's what happens in this market. So centralization is weakness and the crypto market is an adversarial crypto economic battleground and if you're not resilient you you will explode.
0: I think so one of the things to, to touch base on back again is and this kind of happens at roughly the same sort of times so you've got Three areas, capital, bankruptcy in July. You've got Voyager digital bankruptcy in July. You've got Celsius digital bankruptcy in July. And then mid-August, you've got the US sanctioning Tornado Cash. And that's what you were talking about earlier on, right?
1: Yeah. So I think that all of these things, it, it's somewhat chronological, but they're all linked to one another. So some of these big hacks towards the start of the year, and they were big, yeah. uh, and there's a real argument that some of these really bad people are funding themselves with by setting up hacker groups who go around exploiting these early fragile systems which have a huge amount of money in them and in a kind of retaliation to this the OFAC which is a kind of governmental agency in America put treated Tornado Cash a DAO actually a sort of DAO smart contract system as a person and using their emergency powers for basically their They were claiming that emergency powers are these great things where you can basically do whatever you want, and this is an emergency because terrorists, this is a threat to America because terrorists are getting funded. And yeah, the Tornado Cash got treated as a person, first time in history, and got put on the special designated persons list. And what that means is that anyone who interacts with that person, the smart contract in this case, can get up to 30 years in jail for doing so. And that's really changed the whole dynamic of the space, because now the Americans have really said this, anyone interacting with this privacy tool can go to jail for a very long time. And that's really scared everyone and really was one of the bits that really made everyone think regulations are coming and made people overall bearish on the immediate future in the space.
0: Okay, so... What's the next piece of news we we want to sort of review, do you think, for the year? I think one of the major bits has been the merge. The Ethereum
1: merge pivot to proof of stake was largely a bit of a non-event, which is actually incredible. Best news ever. Yeah, it's just amazing. So people got up in the morning, watched this live stream, some ASCII art pandas clicked up and Ethereum moved from a proof of work blockchain to a proof of stake blockchain and it all happened rather seamlessly because this is being people have been working on this problem since 2014 the initial ethereum chain was only ever meant to be a temporary measure and the goal was to move to proof of stake largely for a kind of efficiency a lot of people think it was largely motivated by the esg narrative and that that's not really the case It wasn't really energy sustainability that was the initial motivation it was the fact that you could run a blockchain With much lower block subsidies as you you needed to pay the network less money to secure it and largely that's happened so the merge has changed the token economics of ethereum there was a kind of pre-change which has run up to the merge which was the london fork of ethereum which basically introduced this burn dynamic where instead of the miners getting fees and all the mev stuff that was going happening those fees were burnt to the network so It moved to this idea where the miners would get a block reward, so X amount of Ethereum per block, but they'd get the fees on top of it. Now it moved to this moment where they got the block reward, but not the fees. The fees essentially added a deflationary dynamic to the token economy. And now the block rewards have been reduced and now go to validators instead of miners. And those block rewards have gone down. And because they're not burning huge amounts of energy and running sea warehouses full of machines, it's a relatively low cost exercise to do. You can reduce the amount that you need to pay people by 90%. So that's largely what's happened. And I actually think it's incredibly bullish for Ethereum. The huge narrative around NFTs boiling the oceans and whatever is not really there anymore. The whole Ethereum network runs on a very small amount of energy. You're talking less than Twitter, less than any of the mainstream apps that people are moaning about NFTs on. I think there's, that whole narrative has basically disappeared. But it is linked to the whole Tornado Cash thing. It has changed Ethereum to this new model where we are now running these validators and people who've staked their ETH with places like Coinbase and Lido and these other pseudo-centralized or pseudo-centralized actors who are validating on people's behalf are now censoring the network with what they're calling OFAC-compliant blocks. So if you use Tornado Cash, if your transaction goes onto the network and the next block provider, the, ne- the person who wins the next validator who wins the next block is Coinbase, they're not going to put your transaction in. Now, this doesn't fundamentally break Ethereum that much because you you just wait until the next non-compliant block provider wins, which is about 50% of the time. So you're really only sitting one block out before your transaction gets processed. So we don't quite have a censored chain yet, which would imply that if there's root-level censorship, if you use Tornado Cash, your transaction never gets mined. But it is a threat. And we have moved to this new economic paradigm that we haven't seen fully play out yet. So that was one of the emergent things that happened. There's a degree of censorship on the network that wasn't there before. Guy I know, Ray Youssef, who runs Paxful, just announced this week that he's no longer accepting Ethereum because he doesn't want... Interesting. So they're one of the biggest OP2P providers mainly he's a big bitcoiner and he's basically said we're not offering eth or any of their tokens because we're protecting our users and it's largely motivated by people are getting scammed on these dodgy tokens but also he thinks proof of stake is just fundamentally flawed to the point where it's not a fair system anymore so there's going to be some backlash against that a lot of its coiners using it as an opportunity to say proof of work is the real the real thing and yeah well i think this we're going to see how ethereum plays out now largely if it all runs totally fine for the next couple of years and we're not seeing any of these weird effects that we didn't plan for emerge on the network i think it's all totally fine and I actually largely think that's going to happen but yeah the merge has been a big event that largely went pretty well and i'm now bullish on Ethereum more than ever because of it because the token economics are just so good the block subsidies down 90% and when the next frenzy of action happens on the chain then it's going to get hard deflationary and I think that's going to make it a very interesting crypto economy.
0: Yeah I'm interested this one plays out I think the next thing we wanted to talk about was Elon buying Twitter and I've actually had just had a thought about this that's just come up so I want to see what you think first of all but What's your take on this? Because it's not specifically crypto news, but it is yes. where crypto lives.
1: It is. This is if you live on Twitter like I do, it's a big deal. And uh, it's Elon has successfully triggered about half the world <laughs> like by doing this. And yeah, it, he's doing things on that. Elon buys Twitter. He came in with the kitchen sink and he's like, yeah, I'm going to change everything and it's going to be better. And the fallout from this has been very interesting. People really hate him. Like... Th- really don't like the guy for a number of reasons they see a lot of people think that it's on him to solve world hunger or something because hold on he's wasting his money on send, sending rockets into space and people just like fundamentally dislike the they see him as a kind of manifestation of kind of capitalism in in some way i've been accused for, i think the phrase is dick riding <laughs> these days where they're like that's a new one yeah, no, it's like there's it's a it's the new meme. It's if you look under any, I don't know if you've seen the memes where it's people like people criticizing Elon, and then there's someone diving in front of him, like weird nerds protecting him, taking a like, bullet, taking the bullet for him. And like, I think this is largely nonsense. I think Elon has revolutionized space flight. He started OpenAI, which is now one of the biggest large language mod- models in the world. He has brought electric vehicles back to everything. I think it's absurd to in the validity of what he's actually achieved because it's really demonstrable that he has... He's like a, the modern-day Edison in many ways. Mm. He's a real industrialist, thirdly changing industry. The Twitter thing is a very strange move, to be honest. It's like software is not really his thing. Engineering is, unlike real-world engineering. But yeah, there's, I wouldn't be surprised. He's started doing voting, so he's just, like, in the last week, decided to put a vote up to whether he should step down as. CEO. And obviously everyone said, yes, you should because... I will abide uh, by this vote. What a mug. Yeah, yeah. And so actually what he's doing is behaving like a DAO, which is I'm just like thinking, is he warming us up to launch the Twitter token and say this is a DAO now? Which would obviously be the best news ever for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, We'll see. I think things are starting to break a little bit. He has sacked a huge amount of the staff. And There's a very real possibility that he thought he was going to come in and reform this thing, root and branch. But actually, it's a lot more messy than he thought it was. So one of the major things that's happening is calling it the Twitter files. Yes. Elon's come in and he's basically blowing the lid off everything that's happened in Twitter over the last 10 or 15 years. And as it turns out, Twitter is an absolute broken mess and insecure at best. It's not the there's literal government agents working at Twitter with full production access to the environment and could easily be mass manipulating the public could be i mean are ah, it's a yeah. done deal i thought this was happening very obviously certainly over the pandemic there was like very obvious like social manipulation happening on twitter now it's basically case closed right there's like literal state actors working there and the whole thing needs a rebuild i don't know How he's going? I think he's picked a task that is probably beyond his abilities to. And what I think we're seeing is like organizational inertia, organizational rot has like systemically invaded Twitter, where there was vast amount. He said there was more managers than was coders, and yeah, we're in this situation where he's inherited this incredibly powerful platform, which is a total mess behind the scenes and i think that vote was him basically stepping down because he doesn't want to be the ceo it's just like it's too messy so he's going to try and find someone else to take over and he'll move into the more back into the engineering bit hashtag bring back parag I'm just kidding yeah, that's not gonna happen <laughs> is it yeah i mean i'm thoroughly enjoying it to be honest I'm, I'm oh yeah i'm thoroughly enjoying everyone being mad at him and him rattling the cage and yeah, I think, it's, I think it's ultimately going to be good for the platform. He's got the free speech narrative back on the table. And ultimately, in terms of crypto, he's done a deal with CZ. CZ's one of the LPs, one of the investors in Twitter. So he's going to want to have some deep crypto integration. So I yep. think we'll see some of that next year. I think he'll certainly have Doge integrated at some point in, into the platform, yep. Doge Tips, I think. And he's doing this Vox Populi narrative thing where he yeah. wants voting but it's not civil resistant and he's going to need the kind of tech that we've been working on for the last couple of years if he's going to meaningfully give people votes and use them as policy decisions on the network so I think it's like the whole Twitter conversation is going to be global news going forward, it's either going to go and like I thought there's no way that Twitter could go, it can't collapse but it absolutely can There's they've tried to reduce the amount of people who have production access to the platform, and they just can't. They can't unwind the serious security flaws on the network. So Elon needs to be thinking about how to full root and branch rebuild this thing, and that's going to cost billions of dollars, and he's already lost a huge amount. He's lost tens of billions of dollars on this already. And his it's having cascading implications for Tesla. Tesla's down yes. 70, 75%. Um... He's he needs to keep all his loans, Sam Bankman-Fried style, are all based on his Tesla holdings. Yes. So if that keeps dropping, people are going to want their money back for these loans, and that it's going to get it's going to it's get, get tasty.
0: Again. Yeah, for sure, it's going to get tasty. So, so here's a thought I had, and I'm interested to see what you think about this. But there's this. I think a lot of the things that happen in crypto, whether that's like the NFT boom or whether that's 3 AC collapsing or Terra Luna, all of these things, they're all linked. And the main, the link through all of them is Twitter. So yeah. t- Twitter spreads mind viruses. So it's very effective at spreading ideas, concepts, memes to mm-hmm. everybody, whether you're on Twitter or not. Right, because it, yeah, it can transfer from digital to analog, right? Because that's what people do—they WhatsApp a tweet to someone, an image or whatever, right? Twitter itself, actually, a lot of the reasons why things boom and bust within cryptos because of the boom and bust essentially within Twitter. Narrative's changing,
1: right? I agree with you. I, mean, I think the so crypto Twitter is—it's one of the reasons why I put so much time and effort into it. It really is. I saw way back in the last cycle how much influence that twitter had on the crypto market yep. it's where basically all the marketing gets done it's where the narratives are detected it's where the narrative shifts and change and the sentiment there is really a crucial indicator of, of where the market is and if you if you'd sold when it all turns into Wagmi lfg kind of ultra ultra memes and influencers buying gold rolex watches and and it's all champagne and everyone's getting girlfriends that's the time to sell and when everyone starts canceling each other on crypto Twitter, which is what's happening now, then that's the time to buy. Right? Yeah. It's sent- sentiment there is absolutely in the pits at the moment. Yeah. Engagement goes down completely. Like I can literally tell just by how much my dopamine receptors are battered by Twitter. And it's quiet. Yeah, it's like the universe of crypto Twitter has collapsed down to like maybe 30, 40, 50,000 people globally. And in a bull run, it goes up to two, two or three million, and yeah, so it's a huge thing. But way, be, like crypto Twitter is one bubble. Yes, there are other massive bubbles on, and the kind of certainly the big sort of woke lefty bubble is huge on there. And they're the ones who are predominantly very upset at Elon because he's like triggering them all. So yeah, it's a hugely important platform for the world. It's like literally the global discourse layer for politics and culture and everything mad so i think it's going to be now if we start getting deep crypto integrations into twitter that's going to be huge one of the things that ccz has been pushing is this they released this trading pair of i think it was like bnb ether and some token called mask and mask basically allowed you to ape into tokens via tweets <laughs> So that seems to be a little hint at what might happen. Now, if we get ICO boom, NFT boom returns, because you can simply ape into these things via Twitter, I think that could be a major catalyst next year.
0: Using Doge. It's definitely... Yeah, yeah, that's where it's (laughs) going to be, isn't it? So what's the state of the current affairs then? What are we looking at?
1: It's Look, we're in the doldrums. I think this is close to as bad as I've seen it. I think... It could get worse. I think we're following the last cycle almost play by play. And I think we could see definitely as the attention basically dips off and says, Is crypto a scam? Like it goes from, Oh, you're working in crypto. That's cool. To tell me about it. To, Isn't that all a scam? Yeah, I've and got we're, Christmas we're
0: dinner tomorrow. That, yeah,
1: yeah. And we're at that. Isn't that all a scam yeah. phase? And then because of that, everyone gets embarrassed to say it. And all the crypto conferences turn into DLT and AI conferences and emerging technology conferences. And that's when it gets really bleak because they're really a zero retail action. But that's basically the case already. But the difference this time is we actually have the blockchain infrastructure to scale this to something that we've never had before. There's really no reason why a retail-focused DAP couldn't go viral at the moment on Polygon, for example, because it's so cheap to use. Like, we just didn't have a cheap blockchain to use in 2018, but now we do. So I really don't see a real death of the market unless the the regulations get really nasty. Like, they start... There's a few outcomes I could see of this, that people are just too scared to not just build in crypto but even hold crypto and yeah oh you've touched crypto your bank account's been shut down if it gets that level of messy then we could be into a really deep bear market and it all gets very adversarial and yeah, it gets a little bit nasty, and only the people left who are really on a mission stick around. And this would largely be hugely inadvisable, I think, for regulators to do, because if that happens, it still doesn't go away. You haven't made it go away. It, it just comes back more resilient. Yeah, hardened privacy and 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 it's open source code you can't stop people publishing smart contracts you can't stop people writing zero knowledge circuits you can't stop it happening it's a train that won't stop and yeah it just stifles innovation and growth and what we need more than anything at the moment in our global economy is innovation and growth we need new tech yep Especially at the time where, you know, the thing that's a far greater risk to the global economy than crypto is AI, which is massively deflationary technology that puts everyone out of jobs. And that's moving at a rate that is honestly quite scary and in control of people like Sam Altman, who I deeply dislike, who also creates Orwellian eyeball orbs. And these are, I wouldn't put it past him at all to let's just do something that, immediately obliterates 2 billion jobs overnight because it pumps his bags. So I think actually nation states are
0: largely looking at the wrong area. Everything's- It's short termism, right? There's okay, we can directly see how crypto could threaten the US dollar, the pound, this economic system. So there's like this real clear and present danger AI yeah. is like this relatively abstract. It still feels mm-hmm. very distant. No one really understands it. It feels more like something nerds sitting in a basement messing around with and has no there's a real world application, but we think it we can we can mold that to our liking. Yeah. So there's all these centralized actors which we can indirectly control through government policy. Yes. I think that's what the thinking is. But
1: in real really the Yes, alright, you might have open AI in your pocket in America or whatever but wait until the open source large language models come yeah, out next yeah. year. Like we've seen DALI and then we've seen Stable Diffusion which is an open source thing. We'll, we've got ChatGPT now but next year we'll have Bloom which is like the open source large language model. So really it's again it's another thing that you can't put the lid on and yeah, crypto's in the same sort of thing and yeah, I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting period. It could honestly go either way. Like both deep ultra deep goblin town of 300 bucks eth 7k bitcoin really yeah. I mean I hope this happens frankly. <laughs> yeah. It gives everyone another chance to get positioned into bitcoin while and while all the institutions have been spooked out of it or even forced to not be in on it. It goes back to being a much more social centric technology, which is what it's meant to be. Yeah, I could also see Elon Musk launching a DAO, and then all of a sudden, everyone in the world's talking about DAOs next year, and everyone's, you know, I still don't think we're quite in a position where we've got the tech for everyone for that to happen, because the it's just still too messy for the average person yeah. to play around with DAO tech, and it's just. It's a little bit too early, and I think we've still got probably another month, two years of hardcore development until it is sufficiently abstracted away for the average people to go. But NFTs absolutely could boom again next year. We just need a few more Trump mint type scenarios where sports, like sports clubs, will launch NFTs. It's when utility cases for them start to drop. I think voting technologies are the kind of things that could go gigaviral because it's a genuinely new experience to be able to influence a thing, right? So I I can well imagine big influencers all of a sudden issuing NFTs and doing voting with them and the whole market turns around because of it and everyone starts buying Ethereum again. So it it really could. This is the most uncertain point in crypto I've seen for a long time. It's really hanging in the balance. But either way, we're going to be there. Talking about it, building in it. And I think it's certainly not, certainly very different to how it was in 2018, where I just last week went to a token economics meetup in the DLT hub here. And it was whilst the World Cup was on, and it was round. There was like 100 people there. And in the same sort of part of the cycle in 2018, early 2019 literally no one cared about this stuff yeah and it's changed and so i think it's not going anywhere
0: and i'm quite excited about what's going to happen actually cool i think that's a i think that's a pretty good place for us to wrap this episode up what do you yeah absolutely look thanks again for everybody for joining us this week as ever it's always a pleasure talking to you about these things we hope you find these conversations interesting if you like what we talk about please feel free to share with anyone that you think will be interested in what we're doing if you like what we're talking about, can you leave us a review Whether, wherever you get your podcast, You can leave comments as well if you're using the Spotify app about what you think about what we're discussing and how we're discussing it. If you want to be involved in the project, finance.vote, you can actually come and be a part of that, either through Discord or Telegram. If you want to be involved in the governance, we have NFTs that people can get involved with and can come and vote on topics they want to hear discussed. They can ask questions to the core team. They can ask questions to the podcast. They can ask questions to the DAO in general. So there's many ways to get involved and contribute to our project and just be a part of the future that we're building. So we look forward to seeing you guys all in those locations. And we wish you all a Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone.